0: On Costa Company, we are keen observers of the job market. You know that. And this month, Gallup published a new report about the state of the workplace. It obviously is a matter of concern to many of us on the team. And I remember I was working from home that day. And I was anticipating this report. The report came out. There definitely were some interesting data points and counterintuitive insights. But there was one term that really caught my attention. And it is loud quitting. Apparently, 18% of global employees, that is one in five of us, have become loud quitters. It sounds bad. It sounds like it's the opposite of quiet quitting. And it also sounds a lot like just quitting, right? But no. The report describes these employees as people who stay in their jobs and take actions, quote, that directly harm the organization, undercutting its goals and opposing their leaders, end quote. So you're not just disengaged and unhappy at work, but you're acting out your dissatisfaction. This sounds like a new low to me. And it's not that loud quitting has replaced quiet quitting by any means. It's just that loud quitters have also joined the party. Because 59% of the global workforce is still occupied by quiet quitters, according to the Gallup report. And in case you forgot, quiet quitters are employees who are filling a seat and watching the clock. I could go on and on and on about this, but if I had to serve myself for you, the report did not paint a bright and a sunny picture about the state of the workplace. And this got me thinking. Have you ever heard of the maxim, never let a good crisis go to waste? It is something Winston Churchill apparently really liked to say during World War II when they were trying to form the United Nations. We just had a pandemic, economists are forecasting a recession, and now we have a totally burnt out workforce? This is definitely a crisis, and companies ought to be making some big changes, right? To bring teams together, boost the morale of the workplace, and bridge gaps with employees? Well... I'm happy to report I wasn't disappointed. They sure are. They're using influencers.
1: Come, let's get dressed on a cruise. I'm going
0: to start with these blue pants. Uh, Not those. They're using real-life workplace influencers to weld teams together and improve engagement. That's right. In fact, the Costa Company team hijacked an office for 30 minutes to catch these influencers in action. Then okay. is everyone on board or yeah. you should okay, awesome. Okay. Should we do it? Yeah. Okay, three, two, one. This is Costi Company, the Kent's Work and Workplaces podcast. I'm your host, Akshya. In this episode, we're going to talk about who are workplace influencers, five signs you might be dealing with one, and how companies are leveraging these influencer networks to bring about a big change. The idea of loud quitting, described in the Gallup report, is obviously a huge signal for organizations that there is a dire need for growth and change. But how did we get here?
2: When the COVID happened, I think we all went virtually simultaneously. There was a huge sentiment of allyship. There were people rallying together because the challenge was external.
0: That's Yashaswini Ramaswamy. She's a serial entrepreneur and CEO of Great Place to Work India. Yashaswini has been working on and thinking about data-driven culture intelligence for years. Here she's describing the common enemy effect, where a group of people show more cohesion when confronted with an outside threat. I'll give you an example. Family members. They may heavily criticize each other, but if an outsider comes in and says the same thing, they'll band together and oppose that person. Yashaswini believes COVID was that external threat, that outsider that inadvertently brought teams together.
2: Uh, I mean, we had the whole economy work uh, during the pandemic and also post-high-growth figures, uh, the stock exchange did not uh, tumble down. So a lot of things, uh, you know, went right. Post-pandemic is when I I, I used to say it then, and I'm saying it now as a real uh, Because, you know, when COVID went off, uh, then suddenly you don't have a common purpose that you're fighting uh, towards. I think post-pandemic is our real battle. And this this year, and I think a couple of years uh, uh, hence, uh, is going to be ideal for workplace culture innovation. I'm very confident that we're going to emerge with some new best practices um, uh, that we have created for ourselves because of this new environment.
0: Yashaswini sounds confident that companies are not going to let the post-pandemic crisis go to waste. In fact, she was the one to introduce me to the idea of influencer networks. You were the first person to talk to me about influencer networks, right? And I was immediately enamored with it. So my question to you is, are you taking it off of social media influencers? Uh, You know, because they are the people who influence you to buy a product or go to a restaurant or something like that. So my question is, how similar or dissimilar is this to a social media influencer?
2: Sure. So, um, uh, but just taking off on social media influencers. I mean, you're right. You uh, you're attracted to a certain product, or you're attracted to try out certain uh, food or cuisines. I I'm sure the Bangalore influencers are all about food, uh, right? And uh, I'm sure that some of the listeners would want to try a particular restaurant because an influencer would have said, "Hey, you know, you get great cuisine here." Yeah, I think it's the same analogy in the workplace. An influencer is a person that you can relate to, who has a high amount of relatability. And you can relate to a person only if they're contextually valid, uh, not outdated or somewhere in their own castles, right?
0: So, similar to social media influencers, workplace influencers also influence your choice and are super relatable. But before we get into what makes a workplace influencer, we should answer what is perhaps the biggest question of all. Do we even know what influence means? This is not just a philosophical question or even a thought experiment. The answer has real-world implications in our workplace for things like how do you pitch a new idea in the workplace? When do you ask for a raise? How do you admit to having failed to meet a deadline? Some of these high-risk, high-reward decisions that we make every day are often shaped by the people we choose to pose these questions to and how they choose to respond. Radhika Bhalla, an organizational psychologist, tells me here is where social psychology becomes extremely relevant to the workplace of today. It gives you ways and tools to understand everything about your workplace apart from the work itself. Social psychology helps you understand your workplace dynamics, career ambitions, and mental relationships. It helps you understand these intangible, subtle influences. These influences that slowly compound over time and before you realize, have completely changed the course of your career. Which is what made Radhika the best person to define this hazy, nebulous term,
1: influence. You know, somehow the word influence... Uh, carries both negative and positive connotation so when I feel I'm being influenced I somehow feel that uh, somebody cheated on me like how can you influence me right Uh, so the word influence uh, to me is not such a drastic behavior it's about giving a person a new lens and a new perspective to look at things differently if I'm able to do that that is influence when a person is given the different lenses then the person exercises individual choice Um, some of those lenses will appeal to the person and eventually modify the way this person behaves or the perspective this person brings or the way this person thinks, which is the ultimate uh, modification of behavior that will happen and benefit the organization in many ways and benefit the individual as well.
0: Okay, now that we know what influence really means, I went back to Yasha and asked her to help me paint a picture of who an influencer really is.
2: Influencers within an organization are people who enjoy an amount of trust. Uh, within a section of employees. And this can be uh, on anything. Let's say, for example, um, you know, I have a great idea and I want to discuss it with somebody. Uh, you know, I may discuss it with somebody, not even in my team, with somebody outside my team. Or let's say I'm stuck in a very tricky task and I have a deadline pressure to beat. Um, I may not walk up to my manager. I may walk up to somebody else in my team and say, help me out. So uh, influencers uh, within an Organization are those informal networks uh, where the actual magic uh, happens, where there's actual translation of execution.
0: Influencers in an organization are informal yet powerful networks of influence. They live among us, they work in our offices, walking around like regular people. They scatter through the ranks in different roles and across departments. They don't see their invisible superpower. They don't know that they are influencers. They're relatable. They are your crisis speed dial, information brokers, message validators. To put it simply, they are
2: the custodians of your reputation and employee experience.
0: And this is something we literally saw play out in that live experiment, that office hijack I was talking about. While all of this paints a pretty solid picture of who a workplace influencer is, there is an important piece in the puzzle that we haven't discussed yet, which will help you see the big picture better. Remember the Gallup report I mentioned earlier, where it said 77% of global workforce is disengaged and fatigued, which is combining both the loud quitters and quiet quitters. Influencers often belong to the remaining enviable 23%, which is engaged, motivated and thriving at the workplace. And that lends a certain aspirational quality to being an influencer,
1: which makes people want to be around them or be more like them. But why must I follow this influencer? What makes this influencer an exciting person for me to follow? Why should I listen to them? So I will listen to them if they are a part of my reference group. So what is a reference group? A reference group is a group that I want to be a part of, a person I want to ape, a person I like. Now, very often... These characteristics in today's organization where hierarchies have completely collapsed uh, are not people who are senior to me. These are people who are in my network, in my probably own age, own band, um, and in my own physical space. Okay.
0: That's Radhika once again. She believes influencers is just a modern term that we invented to describe the age-old concept of social referencing.
1: Uh, when our generation or the Gen X was growing up, uh, we looked up to hierarchy. So I would say, well, if my boss does X and I want to succeed, that's the way to be. I will also start doing X. But today, today's generation, Gen Z, which is constitutes a large part of our population says, if my boss is doing X, I will definitely not do X because that's not where I want to go. So who are these influencers? Then These influencers are people who I relate to. Now, why will I relate to them? I will relate to them because uh, they look like me. So they're my age. Uh, They have the same career questions that I do, which is I may be confused. I don't know where to go. Maybe success for me means um, not money, but purpose. And then I feel, hey, this person, despite being just like me, seems to thrive. What does this person do? And then I start seeing the behaviors that this person demonstrates and I start aping them. Many
0: businesses and leaders have realized the importance of tapping into these influencer networks. They've come to the reckoning that the tone-at-the-top alone isn't enough. Culture cannot and does not emanate from one person. It exists in the lived experiences of people who create the culture in the first place. In fact, Yashaswini through her startup Culturalytics, founded four years back, has advised many marquee companies to scan for influencers and keep tabs. Companies like Jindal Steel, Wellspun Group, KPMG, SBI and Page Industries, she says, have really benefited from tapping into their influencer networks.
2: So in times of these, when I have to drive common goals, when I have to drive productivity, when I have to drive a certain narrative of why is this important for us to achieve, et cetera, it's it's absolutely necessary for you to identify your, your influencers. You will not identify them at your own peril. And that is outdated leadership. Today's leaders want to know the pulse, want to know what's happening and actually take proactive steps of influencing the influencers. If you can visualize a workplace today as an amoeba you know, splitting and making and and reinventing itself as you go along, uh, and these influences are your common threads that kind of hold these spaces together. So, as a leader, you can choose what to multiply, uh, but they would be those channels of multipliers within your organization and absolutely needed in today's times um, to actually engage. Since
0: so many companies consult with you, how do they usually react? Uh, to the existence of influencer networks? Because that would have been something that they didn't know about. And now that they know, are they surprised? Or how do they usually respond?
2: We did it in a bank, actually, a pretty large bank, which had 40,000 employees. And uh, there was some deputy manager in some branch, uh, who turned out to be this, you know, great influencer across career across mentorship across innovation that they were all like oh my god we didn't know and you know so it it really it really I think opens up our eyes that uh, hierarchical representation necessarily is not the influenced influential graph that an organization behaves and that's the fascinating thing about organization behavior Uh, we have a hierarchy in place but the actual reality may be something else
0: Stepping back for a second, getting to know what makes a workplace influencer tick can very soon bring you to this crossroads. Influencers are self-made and unknown to their peers. When companies start identifying and leveraging influencer networks, does it risk formalizing a very informal process? Does it take away the magic? could they be contaminating a naturally occurring process with too much oversight and too much supervision? Are companies trying too hard? I mean, think about it. Collaboration, company culture, communication. Don't these things just happen? Coming up, we address the elephant in the room. If influencers do exist, should companies know about them? And if you're wondering about that office hijack, that's coming up too. In the first
3: half of this year, from January to June, Tata Motors had three-fourths of the passenger EV or electric vehicle market share. This is despite relentless competition from the likes of Mahindra and Mahindra and other new arrivals. In fact, even BMW is coming to town and it has plans to manufacture its EVs locally in India. For now though, Tata Motors is the reigning giant. Its revenue for the financial year 2023 stood at almost $8 billion. The not-so-secret secret behind the success is Tata Motors' Express TV EV sedan, the go-to EV model for cab companies and fleet operators who are eagerly looking to switch to greener alternatives. Now, this has obviously played a role in Tata Motors' success so far. But here's what's strange. Tata Motors does not want to acknowledge it. Why, you ask? The answer lies in two models that Tata had launched 15 years ago, and you know them quite well. Indica, the hatchback, and Indigo, the sedan. They were all over Indian roads as the quintessential taxi cars. And of course, they brought in good money for the carmaker. But they also had an unintended consequence that Tata Motors wants to avoid this time with the express T. To find out about it, listen to the latest episode of my podcast, Daybreak. You'll find the link in the show notes of this one. It is on Apple, Spotify and all other podcast platforms. I am Snegda from the Ken Newsroom. Thank you for listening to us. And if you like what we do, please subscribe, share, follow and like. And now back
0: to Akshay. Okay, our company is trying too hard. Is the magic gone now that we know how the trick is done? Hey, I'm no expert. I asked Radhika this. Uh,
1: When you look at how uh, human psychology is wired and you look at research on human behavior, collaboration is not something that our species is naturally wired for. Uh, If you go back to history, we were hunters and gatherers. We were surviving, right? Uh, So we would survive ourselves first and then feed others. And as uh, we have become a very evolved society, every single thing in our society actually uh, rewards and recognizes individual contribution. So now imagine this, there is an individual who's come through school. Now, tell me, how many times in school have you been rewarded for collaboration? You've always been rewarded for your individual contribution in terms of the marks yeah, you top the class and nobody cares whether you shared your notes with another person or not. The fact is that you top the class and that reward is just yours. In fact, the way schools are designed, uh, they are inculcating a sense of competition, trying to prepare us for future Um, Then I go to a B school where suddenly uh, through a very competitive process, I enter a B school or a postgraduate school. Uh, And while I'm put in projects uh, together and those projects do get collective marks, I am still recognized and rewarded for myself. So for the first 24 years of my life, along with my biological wiring, I've only learned how to compete and fend for myself. Now, when I enter an organization, suddenly you're changing the narrative to say, start collaborating. Now, how am I going to start collaborating? I don't even know what collaboration is. I've never done it. Organizations are not wrong in saying, well, we are trying to collaborate, but people aren't coming together because naturally people don't come together. So they are trying to solve this puzzle of how do I get these people to collaborate suddenly?
0: There you go. Collaboration is anything but natural. It doesn't just happen. If anything, we are wired to compete and not come together. So, for organizations looking to solve this puzzle, tapping into influencer network is a step in the right direction and could give them goldmine of useful insights to improve the company culture. With this, I headed to the Kaha Mines office in Indranagar in Bangalore with my producer Anushka to conduct my live social experiment and see the influencer effect in action. Kahamines office space is something straight out of the pages of Architectural Digest. It is bright and sunny, there are a bunch of plans, meaningful posters on the wall, and so many open spaces to just sit around as teams. Everything seems so thoughtful and deliberate and centred around collaborative work. When we enter, people slowly gather around in a relatively soundproofed conference room. After a little round of introductions, it was my turn to step to the front of the room and break the suspense around what we were going to do. I began by explaining the five signs you're dealing with a workplace influencer. The thing that was most interesting to me is that who I would consider a workplace influencer is someone who's on a crisis speed dial, right? Like someone, they may not be on your team itself directly, but you know you're in a fix and you want to call them, this is the first person you think about. And as the word inherently means, they're relatable. They as I went on explaining, I could see knowing, smiles, familiar nods and eye contacts being made across the room. They had their answers and I could tell. I asked them to hold on and say the name at the count of three. Yeah. Then is everyone on board? Or? You should, okay, awesome.
2: Should we do it? Okay, three, two, one. Okay.
0: I don't know if you caught that, but the name that jumped out at me was Minayesh. One quarter of the sample size said her name, and she was a close second for the remaining. I obviously asked the people why Minayesh is such an influencer. But before you hear their answers, I need to tell you this. Kaha Mind is a mental health startup, and these are therapists. So if you're wondering how these people sound so eloquent and articulate and poised, now you know why. So... The people you chose, right? Like could one of you tell me why, if that's okay? Like what was the what made you pick them? Uh, someone who chose Minash, maybe close your ears or something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that could Bye. Bye. Bye,
0: uh when you were describing the characteristics of an influencer, it was her that came to my mind in terms of a person maybe I look up to for information or validation if I was thinking of perspective and if I get influenced by the person's point of view, I think I would, I would be more open to listening to their perspective only because I know they've done it before. Hmm. Got it. Do you think about these things or is it like,
2: do you know that you're such an influencer? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know that I am an influencer and it is validating to be honest. Uh, but what I do know is that I have been here the longest in mm-hmm. the room and I know that that brings with it a certain experience about how things work, how things are structured. Incredibly. I know, yeah, I know when I have also questions, work related or not, I sometimes gravitate towards Meghna because Meghna's been here longer than me, right? So it helps to have someone who knows um, how something is going to go or how certain feedback is going to be received by like someone else on the team. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that me being here for as long as I have uh, possibly brings some amount of information that could be quite helpful to a lot of people on the team.
0: That was a very wholesome exercise and I think we kind of made Minayush's day. Now that we have gone deep on workplace influencers and dug into the social psychology behind all this and performed a micro-study in a real-life workplace, yep, that's what we are calling it now, I think you're ready for this caveat. The flip side to this whole thing. So far, we have discussed the idea of being an influencer with an assumption that influence is always positive. But that obviously is not the case. Influence can be positive or negative. When the influence is negative, then they're called detractors. People who are derailing the company culture and sabotaging company goals. This is what the Gallup report is describing as loud quitters. So next time when you approach someone at work for something or intuitively trust their judgment to navigate work, ask yourself, are they your influencer? Maybe a lot of people rely on you for your insight into things and you are an influencer yourself. Or maybe, there are a lot of detractors around you in the organization and that's the problem. Normally, your life is so much messier than these models and theories, I'll admit. Contaminated by way too many variables. But these are natural experiments that the pandemic made way to. Forcing a lot of companies to innovate and test these new ideas out. Some companies can and have chosen to act differently. So maybe the COVID crisis did not go to waste? And we learn something from it? What do you think? Are you an influencer or are you being influenced? Write to me at podcasts at the-ken.com. I'll say that again, podcasts at the-ken.com. Thank you for listening to Cost to Company.
2: This episode of Cost to Company was written and hosted by Akshya Chandrasekharan. Produced by Anushka Mukherjee with audio engineering by Rajiv CN. I'm your other host, Sneha, and you'll hear from me next week on Cost to Company.